Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome to episode one. Yes, the very first episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and we have our entire team of reporters standing by to keep you updated with the latest news in Texas agriculture. The impact of Hurricane Laura on East Texas agriculture and rural communities. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Why do some herbicides fail? An upcoming webinar may tell you why. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up. Coastal Bend farmers are wrapping up a successful cotton harvest season. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. Those stories and more coming up on Texas Ag Today. Hurricane Laura tore through East Texas and Western Louisiana last week. Tom Nicoletti talked with one East Texas cattleman about the impacts on his cattle operation. My guest today is Will Winfrey. He is a cattle rancher in Orange County in the town of Orange in southeast Texas, uh, very close to the uh, Louisiana border where uh, Hurricane Laura came ashore in the the state of Louisiana and also uh, deep east Texas and uh, will give us a sense of uh, how that was uh, when uh, Laura made landfall. It came in at night which for some reason seems like they always do. It uh, started out as, as wind and, and not as much rain as what we had anticipated and uh, the storm surge that they w- were warned about did not occur uh, which was a blessing. On the eastern parts of the ranch we were three inches of rain on, on the western end we're an inch and a half, but the winds were pretty intense from the north. All right, so not a lot of rainfall there, but uh, you did have some fairly high winds. Yes, we had Rita several years ago, and they were probably 150 mile an hour winds. And on the east side of the county, I would compare it to Rita. The western side, not so much, but the eastern side for sure. And where do you ranch in comparison uh, in the in the county? We start central Orange County and go back to the west, almost to the county line. All right, Will, so what did you and other uh, cattle ranchers do in Orange County to prepare prior to the landfall of Laura, not knowing what it was going to bring uh, as far as uh, protecting your cattle and your ranch and property? We don't run much marshland anymore, so we didn't have to really move to high ground. Our cattle were pretty much on high ground. Some folks that, that had cattle on lower ground had to evacuate them and get them to higher ground because of the fear of storm surge. We were trying to secure everything that could potentially blow off and become devastating or destructive to to property and get it secured to where it couldn't blow around, turn windmills off. We were just basically getting ready for a lot of rain, potential storm surge, and a a lot of wind. Uh, And we were were very fortunate on our place, very fortunate. How would you term any type of uh, damage and destruction? On the eastern side of the county, the destruction mostly was wind damage coming from the north. A lot of trees down. Knocked out all power on the eastern side of the county. Pretty much the entire county, just very isolated spots still have power. Fences are down in a lot of places from trees. Some barn damage, taking the roofs off of them. A lot of shingles off houses over this direction. The further you go east, every foot you go east in the county, the worse the damage is. 
What about loss of livestock and cattle? Well, what do you know about that? It's a little too early to assess that. Right now, we're trying to get everything situated with generators running, trying to be able to sustain our lives. I'm driving through the town of Orange right now, and there's trees on homes. There are roofs ripped off, off of uh, businesses and some homes, a lot of, of shingles missing, but mainly trees blocking different routes power lines down quite a lot of them everywhere that again is will winfrey he is a cattle rancher from orange county in southeast texas i'm tom nicoletti with the texas farm bureau radio network hurricane laura hit two of the major rice growing areas of the country usda's stephanie ho has more There are two main rice production areas in the south. There's one area that tends to be planted earlier and harvested earlier in the western Gulf Coast region, mainly along the Texas coast and in southwestern Louisiana. It's that portion of the rice crop that comprises about one-fifth of the overall U.S. production. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says three-quarters of that rice already has been harvested. The part of the crop that's still out there is what we call the second crop or ratoon rice crop, and that is really a double-cropped rice. You get one rice crop through, and then you go through and try to grow a second crop in the late summer and the autumn. He expects this ratoon crop to suffer hurricane damage. There's a second major area of rice production in the Mississippi Delta that is actually the majority of U.S. rice production. And so it's the Delta rice that will not take a direct impact from Hurricane Laura, but could see significant peripheral impacts. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Sometimes herbicides fail, but why is that? Jessica Domel tells us there's an upcoming webinar that may answer that question. Why do some herbicide treatments fail? Well, that is the focus of a webinar that will be held from noon to 1 p.m. Thursday as part of the Texas Range Webinar Series. The series is hosted by the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Services Rangeland, Wildlife, and Fisheries Management Unit. During the webinar, Dr. Megan Clayton will outline some of the most common mistakes made when applying herbicides and how to improve your control in the future. Cost is $10 for those needing CEUs and free for all others. One CEU is available. The webinar will be held on texasrangewebinars.tamu.edu. That is texasrangewebinars.tamu.edu. Again, that is at noon on Thursday. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cotton growers in the Texas Coastal Bend are wrapping up a successful year. Our Coastal Bend reporter Harvey Buring takes a closer look. Well, as August draws to a close, our Coastal Bend area producers are wrapping up a harvest that is uh, better than expected for the dryland cotton crop. Uh, this crop uh, had to overcome a lot of challenges during the course of the growing season. It began with some marginal soil moisture conditions, particularly on the west side of the coastal bend, and there were thousands of acres that had to be replanted in those locations in order to get a stand. Now, fortunately for the coastal bend area, we received a series of very timely rainfall events during late May and again in late June that allowed the crop to hold and mature a very good bowl load. And now harvest time rolling around and back about a month and a half ago when Hurricane Hannah threatened the area, a lot of that early maturing cotton crop had just been defoliated, 
while a large portion of the crop still had a good leaf canopy on it when the hurricane winds skirted the area as Hurricane Hannah moved southwestward into the Rio Grande Valley. But uh, there were estimates of uh, anywhere between 30 and 50 pounds per acre of wind damage loss to the cotton crop. But now, as harvest draws to a close here in the coastal bend, our farmers are feeling very, very fortunate to be coming out of the fields with the yields ranging between two to upwards of two and a half with a number of three bales to the acre fields over in the eastern portion of the coastal bend. Reporting from the coastal bend area, this has been Harvey Buring. Panhandle ag producers are helping to feed hungry kids in their area in a very special way. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. We see what we do is successful because of the ag partnerships that we have out here. That's Dyron Howell of Snack Pack for Kids, a nonprofit organization providing food assistance to Texas Panhandle students. Every Friday, about 12,000 kids receive food to take home, helping fill what might otherwise be a void in their nutrition. Our whole idea was if we feed kids on the weekend, they come back ready to learn on Monday morning. And much of that food comes directly from local agriculture like beef sticks and shelf-ready milk. These two partnerships with our beef and our dairy community have significantly enhanced the quality of what we're doing for kids, more importantly, brought more protein to our kids. Helping showcase agriculture's contribution is an annual harvest by Snack Pack for Kids volunteers of sweet corn provided by a local farmer. And Howell says Panhandle Produced Food is being distributed by Snack Pack for Kids through its partnership with USDA's new Farmers to Families program. In Amarillo, I'm James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cotton prices rallied above 65 cents last week, creating a good opportunity to sell or hedge. Texas A&M Cotton Marketing Specialist John Robinson says these mid-60s prices may not last long. I think the 65 cents that we were at last week was a selling hedging opportunity. If uncertainty and speculative buying drives us back up to 64, 65, I think that's a selling hedging opportunity because I think we're at risk of sliding back to 60, back into the high 50s. Robinson says cotton will continue to suffer from demand problems caused by COVID-19. Texas dove season is here. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll take a closer look at this year's dove season on Texas Ag Today. Plus, Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd checks in to take a closer look at the equine veterinarian relationship. That's coming up next on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The Texas dove season is finally here. Jessica Domel takes a closer look. 
Dove hunting season in the north and central zones of Texas officially opens Tuesday. Owen Fitzsimmons, webless migratory game bird program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says before you head out, be sure you have the necessary paperwork. You'll need your Texas hunting license. With that, you'll need your migratory game bird endorsement, which is a $7 stamp that comes with your hunting license. If you buy your super combo, it should be included. But you do need to be HIP certified, and that stands for Harvest Information Program. And that's a federal program that helps estimate overall harvest and number of hunters at the large scale. When you buy your license, make sure that you answer those HIP questions and get your HIP certification. Fitzsimmons also encourages hunters to check out the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website for other hunting opportunities. Check out the public hunt link on the Parks and Wildlife website. We have some excellent draw hunts and opportunities for the public there. So check those out if you haven't yet. And make sure you check out the annual public hunt permit as well and some of the walk-in dove hunt areas that might be in your area too. That was Owen Fitzsimmons, dove program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. This year, dove hunters have a 90-day season with a 15-bird bag limit. Hunters do need to be aware of the special white wing days in the South Zone. Those are September 5th, 6th, 12th, and 13th. The South Zone regular season opens September 14th. This year, there will not be a printed version of the Outdoor Annual. For all hunting dates and regulations, visit OutdoorAnnual.com or use the Outdoor Annual app. You can find that by searching Outdoor Annual wherever you typically download applications for your smartphone or tablet. Again, that is OutdoorAnnual.com. Links to both are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Sometimes the equine-vet-client relationship can be challenging. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some tips to help that relationship. All relationships can be difficult, and the relationship with your equine veterinarian is no different. Dr. Harry Warner is a longtime equine practitioner, and he indicated in the horse publication that the key is to focus on the horse and do what is in the best interest of the horse, regardless of the best decision for the veterinarian or even the owners. The health of the horse should be placed above the objectives of the veterinarian or the owner. The vet must also be ethical and not only do what is best for the horse, but uphold high ethics when dealing with competition horses. Lots of folks pressure vets into doing things to achieve their goals that are unethical or even illegal. Your vet should not do unethical or illegal procedures or administer unethical or illegal drugs, and the owners should not ask the veterinarian to do these things, as that puts the vet in a bad situation as their license is on the line. This makes it difficult for the vet because they want to retain the client, but the vet should do what is right for the horse. Communication is critical to any relationship, and many times a lack of communication leads to difficulty in the vet-client relationship. So if you are not clear on the diagnosis or instructions from your vet, don't be afraid to ask. Using a medication incorrectly can have severe consequences. Another thing that is important is that the veterinarian treating your horse has the history. Your vet cannot always be present But with today's technology, you should be able to get your horse's records for another vet before they treat your horse, or keep a copy of your horse's current medical records when you travel. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The cattle and grain markets both wrapped up the last day of August on a higher note. We'll take a look back at Monday's livestock, cotton, and grain markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, the cattle market has been somewhat of a mixed bag over the last week or so. Last week, we saw the futures market move mostly lower. And when you take a look at cash fed cattle prices, they were mostly lower last week as well. We'll start our rundown on the markets here, taking a look at the futures on the board in Chicago. Live cattle finishing the day higher on Monday. October contract up 40 cents, 105.30. December live cattle up 47 at 108.97. Feeder cattle futures closing higher September up 27 140.30 October feeders up 45 at 140.62 November up 77 cents 141.37 now let's step over to the cash markets we'll start with fed cattle we don't have any sales to report on Monday last week a fairly weak market we did see prices move lower most of the cash fed cattle trading last week 104 to 105 earlier in the week we did see a few sales as high as 107 but that tailed off as we went through the week, most of the sales in that 104 to 105 range. Wholesale box beef prices on Monday lower. Choice down 205, 227.35. Select a nickel lower, 215.81. USDA cattle slaughter estimate for last week, 654,000 head. That's 1,000 head above the same week last year. We'll take a look at a few of the feeder cattle auctions that happened over the weekend. On Saturday, Gonzalez Livestock Market selling 1,245 head. The trend was steady to lower. Two to three weight steers brought $1.80 to $2.10 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.70 to $1.78. Four to five weights brought $1.35 to $1.67. Five to 600 pounders, $1.30 to $1.32. Six to seven weight steers, $1.30 to $1.31. And the seven to eight weight steers $1.20 to $1.26. Slaughter cows 30 to 61 cents. Slaughter bulls 73 to 83 cents. Stocker cows range from 525 to 850 a head. Cow-calf pairs 750 to 1200 a pair. Tri-County Livestock Market in New Summerfield, Texas. Selling Saturday, two to three weight steers brought $1.25 to $1.90. Three to four weight steers, $1.20 to $1.72. Four to five weights, $1.13 to $1.65. Five to six hundred pounders, $1.10 to $1.47. Six to seven weight steers, $1.05 to $1.35. Seven to eight hundred pounders, $1.00 to $1.25. Slaughter cows, 30 to 68 cents. Slaughter bulls, 75 to 90 cents. Stocker cows range from 550 to 1400 a head. Cow calf pairs, 1250 to 1600 a pair. And to wrap up our look at the livestock markets, we'll jump back over to the board where lean hogs finished lower, October down 5, 53.60. December lean hogs down 7, 55.12. Class 3 milk was mixed. The September contract down 3 cents, 15.66, 100 weight. 
The cotton market closing the day higher, support coming from outside markets. The grain markets, the energies, and the U.S. stock markets all traded higher on Monday. Also, the cotton market anticipating some crop losses in the Monday afternoon weekly crop progress report. All that contributed to a slightly higher close with October cotton up four points, 64.41. December cotton up eight. 65.16. A strong close in the wheat market. September wheat up eight and three quarters, 470 and a half. December Kansas City wheat up three at 475 and a quarter. Corn market closed mixed. September corn up two and a half, 348 and a half. December corn down one and a half, 357 and three quarters. October soybean meal up to 80, closing at 306.90 a ton. Energy markets finishing mixed. October natural gas down 3 cents, 262. October crude oil down 21 cents, trading at 42.76 a barrel. Well, that is a look at the markets, and that wraps up Episode 1 of the Texas Ag Today podcast. Thanks so much for checking us out. I hope that we were able to provide you with some information that made you a better farmer, rancher, or agribusiness professional. Be sure to click the subscribe button. That way, you'll download it automatically every day onto your phone, your computer, or whatever device you listen to your podcasts on. And if you like what you hear, uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. We'd love Love to hear back from you and hear what you think about the podcast. This is Carrie Martin wishing you a great day, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.